And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. I uh, shared a little last week, I think, about my uh, terrible car rental experience trying to get to Oklahoma for this time on my sabbatical with my brother. We, I did finally get there, and we did finally drive to a small city in uh, South Oklahoma that uh, my grandparents had lived, my mom had grown up there. We visited the house that my grandparents had actually built and that I and my brother had lived in for, uh, well, me, for six years. And uh, it was... Well, sad. For one thing, uh, the house had not been cupped up well, and somehow the house got smaller over time. It seemed a lot bigger. But it got me to uh, reminiscing a little bit. Uh, my brother and I, my brother's very athletic. We would play games out in the front yard all the time, uh, football or basketball in the driveway or, uh, you know, on the rare occasions in Oklahoma where we'd get enough uh, snow to, to try and make a snowman. Uh, we, we were just outside a lot, and, uh, you know, if you think about it, when you're out in front of people, like, you're sort of like out in public, and it was just an open invitation. Anybody who wants to come do what we're doing, come hang out, we're glad you're there, kids would come and, you know, join in, pick up basketball games, but then occasionally, you know, we'd get thirsty or tired, we'd go inside. And in many homes, uh, maybe yours as well, when you walked in, uh, there was the living room right when you walked in. I don't know why it was called that, because as kids, you weren't allowed to live in that room at all. Uh, it was formal furniture, and uh, that's where you usually wore nice clothes, and the grown-ups would have grown-up parties there that you know we probably weren't invited to, and we didn't want to be there anyway, because it was like bacon-wrapped watercress or something. That sounded horrible. Uh, but you, you, didn't wear ni- you didn't wear comfortable clothes, you didn't put your feet up on the couch. If you could get away with that, that happens in the family room, right? And if you had friends, you would go to the family room. That's where you could hang out, you could put your feet up, let your hair down, you'd watch TV or a movie and discuss things. You, you might get into an argument with your brother. I mean, I've heard that that happens. <laughs> it was, you know, where you, you could more connect with friends that you knew well. But if you were a really good friend, if you remember the family, at some point you would probably end up in the kitchen where you're sharing a meal together, where, uh, you know, the ladies might get together. My grandmother and a friend would get together over a cup of coffee and, and maybe have a really close conversation about what was going on in their lives. It, it might be the room where mom and dad would sit you down sometime and have a very serious conversation about something. Homes are interesting, aren't they? different spaces for different purposes that are still all about communicating who we are as a family and what we value and how we grow together and how we're connected to each other. In his first letter to his protege, Timothy, Paul writes, I'm writing you this so that you will know how to behave in the church, the household of God. 
an interesting thought, isn't it? An interesting picture that the church is a family. The church is a household. And biblically, church is not really something you go to. It's something you belong to. Church is a community. It's a family. But of course, we have a facility, just like most families have facilities. We meet in a church building. It's supposed to be a tool and a resource for our lives and for God's mission. And just a brief recap, you know, about four or five years ago, the elders started talking about strategic goals and what we needed to be more effective and what God's called us to do. And one of those was addressing issues with our facility. So we pulled together a team and solicited input from the congregation and developed a plan and uh, launched a building campaign. And a quick note, uh, thank you all who have been contributing to the Ambassadors Building Campaign. We are ahead of schedule for what we anticipated the giving to come in at, so thank you and keep up the great work. But at the same time, our giving to the church ministry fund has lagged a little, so if you are able to contribute to help pay for things like curriculum and coffee and salaries, uh, that's great too, and uh, thank you for helping us with that. Now, we've been doing ministry in the dust for about the last nine months, believe it or not. And, and we are literally coming up on the finish line. And that is awesome. We are going to have a celebration August 18th between services. Uh, so I hope you can be here for that, where we're just going to give thanks to God and have some great food and uh, commission this work that's been done. Uh, but for the next three Sundays then, today and the next two weeks leading up to that, we're going to be in this series called Building Ambassadors. It's meant to connect what we've been doing in this project to our vision of being informed and winsome ambassadors of Jesus Christ to our secular culture. That's the point. And what we want to remind ourselves of in these next few weeks is that while the construction is coming to an end, that is only a beginning. Because now that, you know, the, the workmen all move out and the dumpster goes away and, and now we actually settle in, we need to remind ourselves why we did this project in the first place. It, it's meant to reinforce what we are here for, that in our vision for discipleship, as we've said, disciples are a people who do life with God for the world. That's why we're here. That's what church is. And a church building is, in many ways, like a home for the family of God. It serves a lot of different purposes. It communicates different things. There are different rooms and spaces that we use in different ways. We gather in big groups and in smaller get-togethers. And uh, it reminds us of what family is about. It's about welcoming people. It, it's about uh, equipping us and growing us together. That's what the Ambassadors Project is supposed to be about, a facility that communicates welcome and it supports and encourages us in the vision that God has given us as his people. So this morning we're starting with a look at how Jesus' first disciples lived out that same vision in a different context, but with some principles that are helpful for us. So if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bible or one in the seat underneath in front of you and turn to Acts chapter 2. 
in the New Testament to that passage that we just heard. And while you're doing that, a, a real quick a mention of context. In the second chapter of Acts, remember, Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's poured out the Holy Spirit on his disciples on the day of Pentecost. They start preaching in languages they've never studied or learned. And people who had gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world hear them in their own languages. They hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And 3,000 of them come to faith in Christ. And now the church has this awesome problem. What do we do with all these people? There's, there's no pastors, there's no church building, there's no budget, there's no leadership board, there's no denominational resources, you know, none of the things that we tend to typically associate with church. They're, they're just there trying to figure out how do we do life with Jesus. And so in verse 42, where our reading starts, they devoted themselves or they were continually devoting themselves. They have this commitment to a particular course of action. It, it means they kept on doing this faithfully, intentionally. It, it didn't happen when it was convenient. It didn't happen, you know, if there was nothing else better going on. They were invested in these things. And here's what that looks like. That, that first of all, they recognized that a relationship to Christ is received through faith in Him. They devote themselves together as a people who've been brought together by faith in Christ. Peter is sharing how Jesus is the Messiah that God has promised. And, and he's appealing to them in verse 40, save yourself from this wicked generation. And those who received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to the community. They were brought into this community by faith in Christ. The foundational level of, of fellowship, of connection, of community, especially for the people of God, is a relationship to God through Christ. Paul says in Ephesians, you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. That's what it means to know Christ. We come to him individually, but we're connected to Christ and one another. So we could say that Faith is certainly about believing true things about Jesus, but it's even more about belonging. First and most importantly, belonging to God through faith in Christ, but then belonging to God's family. You know, I, you probably know some people that say things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I just, I don't go to church. I worship God on my own. I, you know, I don't need all that. And I get that at one point, but it, it doesn't really make sense biblically. It's sort of like saying, you know, I'm I'm a football player, but I don't want to wear a uniform. I don't need practices or coaches or, you know, learning how to be a better football player. I just, I, I'm a footballer on my own, in my own time. You know, it doesn't work that way. To, to come to Christ means you are made a part of his community and his body. And you become part of something that existed before you and will go on after you die. God's redeemed and reconciled people who are part of his mission to take that news of God's salvation to the whole world. Because if you think about how did, how did we even come to know about Jesus? Through the church. And God is inviting us through the church to be a part of the church, to be a part of his family. Is that true of you? 
Do you know for yourself, personally, that you have a living relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Because that is how you know God. That is how you have a relationship with Him. And then secondly, we have a relationship to the Father that's expressed in worship. We have a relationship to Father that's expressed in worship. They committed themselves to prayer or to the prayers it could be read. Now, if you look through the rest of this book of Acts, there are certainly examples of personal prayer, but a lot more examples of corporate prayer, of God's people together crying out to God, singing praise to Him, uh, asking for His help, asking for His direction and blessing and wisdom. We gather in worship to speak to God together as His people, to sing His praise, to hear from Him. And then notice in verse 46 and 47, day by day, they continued together meeting in the temple. Now, that was their context for corporate worship. That's how their relationship to God was nurtured and expressed. They devoted themselves to coming together as God's people in worship. And that's what we're going to dig in more to next week. How God grows us in knowing Him and how this home for God's family expresses that and encourages that and deepens our life in Him. But then third, God has designed us to know Him and to grow through relationships with others in community. We see that over and over again in this passage. They devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, right away we have a problem because probably in most of your Bibles, this, it's this Greek word koinonia that's translated fellowship. And it's, it's a perfectly fine translation, but the problem is that when we hear fellowship in English, because of our context, it probably tends to make us think of things like coffee and donuts in, in a room called Fellowship Hall, or, or maybe fried chicken and potato salad, or, or being together around a ball game. And that's not wrong. I mean, that, that can be fellowship. But what it literally means is having things in common, being together, being united. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It was the common Greek that was the property of everyone, the Greek that everyone knew and spoke and owned. And that koinonia is, is described here, see in verse 44. They were all together and they had things in common, in koinos. Brotherhood might be a good translation for it, or community, or having it in common. Through Christ, God unites us together as a community of faith. And then that community that we're a part of is how God helps us know Him and grow together. And in this passage, we see pictures of different kinds and levels of community that God uses. The first is what we might call a social community. Uh, that is larger-sized groups that come together for a specific purpose, groups that come together around a particular goal that's not so much about the individuals, but the task that they're trying to accomplish or what they're there for together commonly. And they devoted themselves, first of all, in 42, again, to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to growing in knowing Jesus and His Word. And there were people who had a responsibility to teach, and they gathered together the resources and the people to be able to pass on that instruction to 
the learners. The body of Christ was teaching one another through certain members how the whole body was supposed to grow up. Now for us at Faith, obviously, that is reflected in how we gather together around God's Word, not just on Sunday morning in worship, but in our connection classes and and in large teaching gatherings. And part of the reason that we said we need to do some work to facilitate that is, you know, when people would walk into the building, they just see blank walls and closed doors, and they have no idea what's going on. I mean, we'd be sacrificing chickens in there for all they know. So now we have these, these open rooms with, with windows, and, and people can see what's going on, and it, it encourages them to come be a part. And, and we're communicating, this is important, and we want you to take part in this. We want you to be devoted to this process of knowing God and His will for us. You know, it's even down to the level of, we want to stop using classrooms to just like store a bunch of stuff because we want them to be spaces that encourage more people to come in and be part of the learning. And I mentioned of uh, all being together and having all things in common also points us to the need for spaces where we can gather together in larger groups. Now, I don't know if all 3,000 of them went to the temple all at once, but certainly they, they had some context for large worship, but there were also gatherings that weren't necessarily a part of worship too. They were together with one another, not, not just in corporate worship. And social connections are about a welcome and thoughtfulness and invitation to others, anticipating and providing for people's needs. That's, again, why, why we've done some of the work downstairs, you know, why we realize it's maybe not a great idea to have a welcome center hidden under a balcony behind where people walk in. It doesn't really communicate welcome. What if we had it in the middle where we could actually welcome people? And, and what if the facility were easier to find your way around in and it communicated, we're glad you're here. We don't want you to have to stumble around scratching your head, figuring out, you know, like, where do the kids go and where's the worship center and, and how do I find my way around? And it also means having public spaces that encourage social interaction. I saw a bunch of people down at the cafe this morning and trying out some of that new furniture. This is your opportunity to claim your space, right? Just like it's, like it's got the new furniture smell and you get to figure out where you want to sit and then glare at people who get there before you to sit in your place. I mean, that's church, right? No, it means spaces that encourage social interaction, where, where we're just greeting one another. We're glad to be together. Uh, we had a friend named Tom at First Free in St. Louis, and uh, he'd been in the hospital for about a week for some tests and surgery and recovery, and uh, he was sharing a room in the hospital with uh, somebody else. And, and while Tom was in the hospital, he'd had pastor come visit him and, and friends from his Sunday school class. And... Um, he appreciated the visit, but he didn't think they were really anything special. But the guy who was sharing the room with him, one time, after a friend had left and they'd spent a long time just talking and laughing together, said to Tom, wow, that's, that's really amazing how those people care for you. I wish I had someone like that. And Tom said, what do you mean? He said, well, your friends, like, they come by and it seems like you guys like each other and... Tom was thinking like this guy had had people come visit, but they didn't stay very long, and the, the 
conversations weren't always very pleasant. And, and this guy was amazed that there were people that liked Tom, that were glad to see him, that were there to encourage him, that had a kind word, that they could laugh together. And it wasn't that they were like super deep conversations or anything. This man says, I don't have anyone like that. And Tom said he was just struck by how lonely that guy's life must be. You know, even with family and friends, this guy did not have many deep relationships, apparently. He didn't know whether or not anyone cared for him, and, but he saw Christians caring for one another, laughing together, encouraging one another, praying for each other, and, and he was drawn to it. Because we're made for those kinds of social connections, even at a larger level. Even, even if it's, you're not going to have a hundred people that know you real intimately, but it matters that we're here. And, and that's why it matters that we have a facility that encourages that kind of connection and welcome. And then God grows us through personal community too. Look again in verse 42. Uh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And Verse 46, they were breaking bread in one another's homes, eating meals together with glad and sincere hearts. Isn't that a, isn't that a great picture? But, you know, that's not going to happen with 40 or 80 people, right? I mean, yeah, you can have a picnic with 300 people, but you're still going to sit down at a table with four or six or eight or ten people. That, that's the image of more personal connection. That's what we build off of in groups that we call home groups or small groups or community groups. David Casale shares this uh, great African saying, you can't hear what I am saying until you've heard me chew. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I have to think about that. For, but the point is, unless we've broken bread together, unless we've shared a meal, we haven't had a depth of relationship that lets you really understand who I am. Like, you know what it sounds like when I chew my food. We're that close. Chet Wood points out that sharing a meal, sharing food, was central to the life of the early church. Several of Jesus' miracles were about providing food or wine for people. It was an expression of God's abundance and God's care. And if you think about it, I mean, eating with someone is a picture that we're at peace with each other. We're breaking bread together. I trust you. I know you enough to know that you're a safe person and, and that I'm okay being with you and being vulnerable in front of you. Chet even suggests that, uh, you know, the selling the possessions may not so much have been about uh, handing money to people as much as money that goes into providing for these regular communal meals in, in the people of God sort of like a, you know, first century pitch-in. Everyone brings something, and everyone's invited, even if you can't bring something, because that's an expression of God's welcome, but that comes from a, a connection and a closeness. And the church building needs to be a place where people can connect in smaller groups, too. I mean, the, I've loved seeing and hearing stories about uh, young families meeting down in that uh, lobby in the kids' area. I mean, remember, we used to have like a, a kind of a dark, closed-off hallway, and you just had to run in and get your kids, and it was a traffic jam. And, and, and now young families are down there and connecting with one another and chatting, and the kids can run around in a safe place. And uh, that's awesome. 
That's what church ought to be. And even just some of the seating areas out in the main floor or the cafe or the welcome center. Because if you think about it, sitting down together is really important. It makes a huge difference. You ever had a situation where you'd walk into a colleague or a boss's office and you're standing in the doorway, maybe they don't invite you to come sit down and you immediately know, okay, this is going to be a very short conversation and it's not going to probably be real intimate. But when you get invited to sit down and you're literally face-to-face with someone, you are, you're physically now on the same level. And that's a picture of Christian community, isn't it? That we come together as a people and all rank and title and status and everything is in some sense left behind when we come to the cross, when we come together as God's people. Whether it's you know, people that have been to seminary and people who can't name the Gospels, whether it's people who can buy million-dollar homes or people don't know where their utility bill money is going to come from. The strong and the weak, the young and the old, the long-timers and the newcomers. When we're sitting down face-to-face, there's a connection and an equality that, that levels us out in, in a healthy way. And there are people going through all kinds of challenging things uh, in life. Difficulty at home, difficulty with work, anxiety, fear, discouragement, not knowing what the future holds. And God puts us together, not necessarily to fix those problems, although sometimes he uses us to do that, but if nothing else, to bear one another's burdens, like Paul says, and so fulfill the law of Christ, to love one another deeply from the heart. We need community and a space that encourages that kind of connection because God grows us together as we know what's going on in other people's lives. And then God grows us together in what we might call a transparent community. There's, I think, an implication here of some more one-on-one personal connections here in verse 45, that part about selling their possessions and property, and sharing with any who were in need. Now, if you think about it, how did that happen? Like they just sort of brought their possessions and put them in a big pile and said, okay, come grab whatever you want. Like, I need help finding a job. Well, I got snow boots for you. I mean, that, that does no good, right? To meet one another's needs, you have to know what those needs are. That implies a level of intimacy and personal connection that goes way beyond just knowing the the overall details. We have to know one another close up. And it also means we have to be willing to be vulnerable with one another, to let people know where we're hurting, where we're struggling, where we have needs. And that can be hard. Anne Ortland uh, puts it this way in describing the church. She says, every congregation has to choose whether it's going to be one of two things. It could be a bag of marbles, a bunch of single disconnected units that just happen to be next to each other and they only connect and then bounce off each other without making any impact. And 
you know, it, it doesn't really even matter whether there's 42 or 43 bags in the marble, right? Marbles in the bag. What difference does it make if I'm here? We're just all disconnected, individual, discrete units. Or, she says, you can be like a bag of grapes. And, of course, grapes are clustered together, right? There's, there's a common vine or stem that holds them with each other and draws their life from the same place. But beyond that, now these are brand new fresh grapes and they're really delicious if anybody wants them afterwards. But if you think about it, as grapes kind of go through their life, so to speak, they get bruised, they get banged around, they're going to bump into each other, they're going to start leaking grape juice, right? And after a while, as the grapes are bumping into each other and getting bruised and just going through life, the, the grape juices all kind of start to mingle together until you don't know where the individual grape juice came from or whose it is. It's just we're all in this together and we're bumping up against each other in a way that we're sort of bleeding on each other in a, in a good way. And, and we're just mingled together and sharing life. Now, that can be hard. It, it can be risky because we probably naturally tend to wonder, is it safe to do that with anyone? What if I make myself vulnerable and, you know, somebody rejects me? Somebody says, no, I don't want grape juice on me. I'd rather be a marble. And then you get another bruise and the marble goes on its merry way. But how good is it when you can find that one or two or three people that really know what's going on and aren't afraid of getting messy with you because of that intimacy and that connection? That's what God has designed us for. A number of years ago, Amelia and I went through uh, a really terrible time. And not between us personally, but uh, some devastating pain uh, that had been inflicted on our family, and uh, because of the situation, we couldn't really talk about it with very many people at all, but, but we had a few people, one or two folks, that we could just be honest with where we were hurting and struggling, and uh, that's life-giving, to be able to know I'm not in this alone. Someone cares. Someone understands. Someone will walk through this with me. See, God knits us together in a community where we're not measured by how good we are or how bad we've been. And, and that doesn't define whether or not someone's going to love us and accept us. God nurtures us and grows us in community with one or two or maybe three people who mentor us, who encourage us, who know how to mentor and encourage us because they know enough of us to know where we need exhortation, where we need prayer, where we need encouragement, where we need to pick up the pace, where we need a swift kick in the pants, where we need a kind word. Do you have that person? Do you have somebody like that, the person that you could call at two in the morning in an emergency? That's the kind of people that God also uses to grow us. Let's not be careful to keep everything to ourselves. Because we're meant to be in a community where we grow together. Even though it's at different speeds and different ways, we all develop unique strengths and gifts. And, and that's fine. That's part of the beauty of the community. But listen to what we have in common. Henry Nouwen wrote this. 
We're unified by our common weaknesses, our common failures, our common disappointments, our common inconsistencies. The church is a community shaped by God's grace to people who know they need undeserved goodness. A community that's shaped by humility and love and truth. And you do not get that at school or at work or at the gym. You're sure not going to get it at a city council meeting or, or a political rally. You experience that in God's community, in the family, when you have people who really know where you live. God grows us in social community, personal community, transparent community. Anyone know what the uh, largest living thing on earth is? No jokes. I mean, all right, yeah. Not blue whales. That was my guess. That's the largest animal that's ever lived on the earth. They can be up to 100 feet long and weigh 300 tons, 200 tons. But uh, now I got corrected after first hour, so now I've got to change this whole thing. (laughs) What I read was that uh, sequoia, redwood trees, are actually the largest living organisms on earth. Somebody said there's evidence that uh, there's like aspen growths that are actually all the same DNA. It's just... All those trunks are just branches of one gigantic organism. I think in in both of those cases, though, I know for sure with the redwoods, it's true that although those sequoias can grow to be 300 feet tall and 1,000 tons, they actually don't have very deep roots. Their roots go wide, and they're interconnected with one another. And that's certainly true of those aspen trees, too. They are dependent on one another for the life of not just the individual members, but the organism as a whole. And interestingly, scientists are even discovering more and more how trees actually work together to support the life of the entire forest and not just the individual trees. In fact, I read an interesting article recently, a new scientist, where some guys had discovered that two neighboring trees were keeping a dead stump essentially alive by filtering it water and nutrients that they would then draw back out of it. Isn't it amazing that, that trees are so deeply interconnected and they exist even as in a sense, inanimate beings, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the whole forest ecosystem, for the whole body. I wonder if there's a message that God has for us in that. And we come to Christ individually, but even in doing that, we're automatically grafted into the body of Christ. We become part of his family. It's expressed in corporate worship. It's expressed personally, individually, in our own lives in relationship to Christ, but then in these communal relationships with one another at a social level, at a personal level at a transparent level that we need. Now, that does not mean go out here and make sure you're developing every one of those kinds of relationships because we go through different seasons and stages of life and these are all the kinds of community relationships that God uses, but the point is not to say, okay, now go add another eight hours a week to develop every single one of these. But you have to have at least one of them or or we're going to be weak and imbalanced and unhealthy. It's sort of like you could imagine like a a three-legged stool, right? 
we have a relationship with Christ through faith in Him. We have a relationship to God expressed in public worship. But we're also made for relationship and community with others. And if we don't have that third leg, I mean, I, Joey's got better balance and skill than I can. Maybe he can balance on a two-legged stool. I cannot. We're not made to do that. We don't have the strength to do it on ourselves. We're connected not only to God, but to one another. So how are those relationships going in your life? Do you have any of those? You know, are, there, are there ones where you really want or need to focus in this season? Because you're not made to do life alone. Because God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, exists in a community and invites us into the community of his love that's experienced in the body of believers. The, the nature of reality is fundamentally relational. And that has profound implications for us. You put all this together, this kind of relationship, this kind of impact, this kind of significance, and, and you get a community that is, oh, it's life-giving. It's beautiful. That's what we're about. That's what this project is about. That's what we want to be about as we go forward from here, not just today, but in the months and years to come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you know what we need. You have made us for yourself. And because of who you are, you have made us for community. Thank you for inviting us into the community you already have as Father, Son, and Spirit, and the, the way that we know you. Father, would you help us to grow, to nurture those relationships with one another that are a reflection of who you are and what you have us here for. Thank you. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name.